Okay, moving on to text messages. Uh, we have this one that came through. Uh, the changing of history is nothing new. Oof. So we were talking earlier about, you know, how long will it be until somebody changes history and writes the book, you know, Adolf the Great? Mm-hmm. Because they're going to say, well, you know, he brought to us... He brought to us euthanasia. He brought to us eugenics. He brought to us all of the things that we are practicing now, you know, but in different ways through abortion and assisted suicide. Mm. He Yikes. did it in a slightly more, I guess, confrontational way, but that's what he did. Yeah, and then people start saying that he was misunderstood. And How long will it take? How long will it take before Yikes. somebody writes that alternative history and then... You know, it somehow gets mainstream. It's happened so many times in the past, and we pointed out how that happened to Alexander. It took 300 years for Alexander to receive the title of the Great. Up until that particular point, he was known as you know a serial arsonist who just burnt the world down. Just mm. went out and burnt the world down for his own glory. Wasn't even trying to make the world a better place. Didn't even want to try and spread you know Hellenistic culture. He just wanted to be commit as much cultural genocide as he could. How much culture was lost as a result of Alexander the Great? We will never know. Wow. Mm. Anyway, uh, the changing of history is nothing new. The Old Testament kings did that all the time. We're told, you know, that's a fact. We're told that a new order of books would be written changing history according to the New World Order. All the things you mentioned are happening today. Eugenics are well and alive. Absolutely they are. The interesting thing is that, and this is the thing, if, you know, if, if, the, if abortion was wiping out, Think about this. If it was wiping out the upper levels of society, mm. there would be a massive kickback against it. Mm. You know that. A hundred percent. But it's wiping out the lower levels of society, and that's why it's supported by the upper levels. Yeah. So I saw a, uh, you know, someone, uh, I'm friends, you know, as many people are, friends with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds on Facebook um, because, you know, we all have lives oh, absolutely. You know, outside of our faith or yes. have friends outside of our faith. And, um, yeah, they, this, this person, they shared, uh, one interview about how, you know, uh, sorry, one, uh, post about how abortion, I think they were on an abortion tirade that day and they were like, oh, abortion is a woman's right. You know, like we, this is something that should never be taken away. And then the next post was about the evils of abortion because people are doing it for the purpose of their babies not being the correct gender. Yes. And war on women. And they, but then they, so they, or, or in, in, cause in first world countries, then it's like, oh, you know, if they maybe wanted a girl instead of a boy or whatever, um, like that, that preferential choice. And this person was like sharing this as a point, like, oh, how evil is this? Yeah, man, it's, where do we draw this line? Like, it's just, it's just flipping and flopping and jumping. Yeah, as soon as we get away from the sacredness of human life and the fact that every human being is a human being that is uh, potentially you know, somebody who can spend eternity with God, mm. then uh, you just left flipping and flopping and floating all over yeah. the place. Of course, we don't want to paint people who uh, receive abortions with one Not brush. at all. Not at all. And this is the thing that we need to remember, and, and, and people need to know about where we stand as Christians, is that we will give just as much support to the person walking into the abortion clinic as we will give to the person walking out. Mm. I think a lot of people miss that who are not Christians and they just don't see that as a part of the Christian narrative, that we are here to support you regardless of the decisions you've made and regardless of whether we agree with those decisions Mm -hmm. or not. We are about human beings. We are about people. 
Mm. We are here to support you. And regardless of your background, your history, what you've ever, you know, done in the past, we're here for you. Yeah. That's what we're saying. And that's ultimately because we sympathize, like, as Jesus does. Nobody's perfect. Every, we've all so have sinned struggled. and come short yeah. of the glory of God. This is not this is not Christians standing up and saying we're better than anybody else. No, this is Christians saying we can make the world a better place mm. by supporting both sides of the yeah. equation, people on both sides. Yes. We're here about people. Mm. Okay. Uh, all the things you mentioned are happening today. Eugenics are well and alive. The interesting thing is that pure breeds tend to be weaker. It's like inbreeding in the dog world. The mixed breeds are the strongest. There's nothing like a mutt. It's a fact. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Reality. I'm just trying to think about how that applies to the human context. And Okay, so we were obviously talking about Nazi Germany where they were trying to breed, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, mm-hmm. six foot tall. Mm. Um, and if that had gone far enough, it would have created the situation. Yeah. Well, it, we like, know that because it did happen in the royal families. Yeah, it ultimately turned into incestuous... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's heavy. <laughs> so it is, it is. Uh, I suppose science knows that is why they are doing their best to connect humanity to artificial intelligence and robotics. This is only going to get worse. Not a world we want to live in. Salvation by science. Our salvation, our only salvation is in the return of Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. You know, so often I look at what happens in our world today and it's just like, this is not my home. I don't want to have a bar of this world. Just... Mm. Let me off. Stop the world. I want to get off. Uh, and the fact is that Jesus is coming back soon and that we will be able to get off this world mm. and that he does have a kingdom where love reigns mm. and where people, all people, are valued, valued so much that Jesus Christ gave his life for them. That's a world in which I want to live. Isn't it powerful that Jesus isn't necessarily a response uh, a response to the problem of sin and death, but rather the solution. Yes. Um, you know, we have like, because there's often that thing put up of science versus Christianity, and it's not that science is non-Christian or Christianity is non-science, but it's just that those two cultures in our Western demographic uh, seem to have some war against it. But ultimately, yeah, G- yeah, science is a response to the problems that we have in this world, whereas Jesus is the solution, the ultimate solution. Talking about Jesus as the ultimate solution, let's read Isaiah 61 and verse 1. All right, the Bible says, Isaiah 61 and verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Okay, so what's this talking about right here? This is another messianic prophecy. Okay, this is a messianic prophecy, and if you go to Luke chapter 4, let's flick over to Luke chapter 4 real quick, and we will see how Jesus actually quotes this prophecy himself. And it sort of had, well, not the kind of reception that one would have hoped for (laughs) at a particular time. He makes this proclamation while he is in the town of Nazareth, which is, of course, which was his hometown. Verse 17, if you can start reading for us. Uh, verse 16, start in verse 16, verse 16. 17, 18, 19. Sure. The Bible says uh, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went uh, to, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. 
The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and at that time of the Lord, uh, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Okay, so you look at this particular passage here. Was Jesus practicing eugenics, getting rid of the poor? Not at all. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so um, we have a prophecy here that is all about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. However, there's probably more to it than just that, and we need to look at you know what this prophecy is actually uh, saying, what it's referencing, the principles that are being espoused within the prophecy, because. If we go over to Leviticus, we go to Leviticus, let's go to Leviticus 25 and verse 10, and you might think, wow, you know, what's Leviticus got to do with Jesus Christ? Leviticus is all about, you know, this ceremony, that ceremony, this law, that law, the other law. The simple fact is that the entire book of Leviticus is all about Jesus Christ, wow. and everything in that book is focused on Jesus Christ. There is so rich with symbolism. Leviticus is right up there with the book of Revelation when it comes to symbolism mm. and richness of symbolism. Okay, so let's go with Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 10, please. The Bible says, Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 10, Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you, when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. Okay, so this was what was called the Jubilee year. Mm -hmm. And it took place every 50th year. Yes. And there were some great laws that were involved in this Jubilee year because it was the year of freedom. Well, And basically the idea was behind it, you could never live a lifetime of captivity. Mm. You could never live a lifetime where you would never own land. Mm. You would never live a lifetime where you were condemned to poverty and were always enslaved, you know, either by debt or any other kind of enslavement because there was this jubilee year. Okay, so this is something that we need to spend a little bit of time talking about because the way the system worked, and it was really was a great system, the land that your family owned was passed on down through to you, generation to generation. Yes. The land was seen as being a gift from God and mm -hmm. therefore something that could never be lost. It was always to stay within the family. Mm -hmm. And so when you were born as a Hebrew person, you were born with an inheritance of land. Now, you know, many of us are born with inheritance of land as well because our parents own land and when they die, that land will pass to us. But then there are many of us who are born without that. Our parents don't own any land and when they die, we won't receive any land. Mm -hmm. With the Under the Hebrew system, you were always born with land that you were going to inherit. So then the question comes up, well, what if your parents decided to sell the land? What if your parents were, you know, came on hard times, they needed to sell the land, they needed the money, and they sell the land, and now they have no land. Mm. There is nothing left there for you to inherit. And in, you know, any society outside of Israel at this particular time period of history, that meant that when your parents died, they had nothing to pass on to you, and it could very, very easily create a cycle of poverty. And that's exactly what you find around the world 
you know, right the way through the Dark Ages and so forth, and existing in our world today where you have these cycles of poverty that people get caught in where they can never come out of it. There is Mm. no way they're ever going to escape from that cycle of poverty. You see it in many, well, you see it here in Australia, but you see it, you know, you know, in many developing countries where you have that massive gap between the rich and the poor. Mm. It was impossible. This was one of the the beauties of ancient Israel. It was impossible to be stuck in a cycle of poverty because every 50 years there was a or every every 50th year there was a jubilee year in which the land that had been sold it just automatically returned to you. Well, it was just it, it could be it could belong to anybody come the 50th year it was now yours. That's incredible. And if you were, if your parents had sold it and passed away, then it came to you as their descendants. Uh huh. And so you would never go through an average lifetime without, at some point, being a landowner. Mm-hmm. And what it meant was that the price of the land would fluctuate. So, for instance, after the Jubilee year, land would be very expensive mm-hmm. because you could buy that and you could have it for. 49 years. Yeah. And then as the Jubilee jubilee year approached, the land became cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper because you're going to have it for, you know, it was basically a lease. Yeah. You you could only lease the land. Mm. And it was also, you know, had the same system with slavery where, you know, you could own a slave, but you could only own a slave for seven years. And on the the, uh, seventh year, the slave would be set free. This was the, the Jubilee year, just shorter. Was all built around a built around these systems of seven, and when uh, if you owned that particular slave, and it wasn't you can't really call them slaves. Yeah, some people use the term indentured servants. I would use the term subcontractors. Yeah, because if you chose to be a slave, if you came on hard times and you had no other option, you could sell yourself as a slave, which means that you subcontract to somebody and your pay is going to be room, board, and a small business in seven years' time because on the seventh year, you were set free and your slave master had to set you up in small business. That's so epic. Like, like that is such a like a disparity to you know. Yeah, people look at oh, slavery was in the Bible. Like the the best the best possible thing. Like this is essentially like an this apprenticeship. Was, this was what, but it, what even it was, better. Yeah, but what it was was it was it was a safety net. Yeah. Wow. It was a safety net that was infinitely better than the safety net system we have today that encourages yeah, people to sit too. on their backsides and do nothing, mm-hmm. which destroys people. Yeah, 100%. So you have a safety net here. You're never going to go hungry. You're never going to starve. You're going to be on hard times and you're going to work hard. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get room and board, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel because on the seventh year, you're going to be set free yeah. and set up in small business. And on the 49th year, you're going to receive land, whether you've been able to buy any or not. Wow, that's incredible. And so every 49, on the 49th year, so you think about, you know, these uh, massive conglomerates that build up and become incredibly wealthy and buy up all the land, mm-hmm. right? Every 49th year, it's leveled. Mm. Sorry, every 50th year, it's leveled. Um, and certainly the wealth that they have been able to generate by owning those vast tracts of land is their wealth to keep. Mm. You know, that's a capitalist system. It's a capitalist system that self-corrects. Wow. 
So you can go out and you can buy as much as you want and you can do whatever, you know, uh, if you're a good businessman, you can make lots and lots and lots of money. No question about that. But it kind of levels out a bit mm. every 49, every 50th year. This was a great system. And, of course, on the 50th year, um, you know, this was a, a time when slaves were set free. This was a time of great rejoicing for you know, large portions of the population that were in low socioeconomic environment. Mm. Uh, some people say, oh, yeah, this was like communist. This was not communist. This was definitely a capitalist system with checks and balances. Wow. You imagine if we tried to institute a system like that in a... Oh, no. Just, like, there's just too many moving parts now. It's like... And it's, it's ultimately, like, all of those moving parts are, like, centred around... Greed, like, because the thing is, is like, because without those checks and balances, that that gap widens between the rich and the poor. Because it, it does, just, it just continues to grow and continue to grow and continue to grow. Whereas, like, this is this leveling of the paying field, uh, the, the the playing field. I feel like, oh, that's fantastic, you know. And it's one of those things where I'm a huge fan of capitalism. I think it's a great system, <laughs> but no human system is the best system. Yeah, for sure. That's the simple reality. There are lots and lots and lots of faults with capitalism. Mm. And I understand that and I get that. You know, I'm not one of these blind capitalists. It's the system that I prefer. <laughs> it's the system that I grew up with. It's the system that I'm familiar with. It's the system that I, you know, see in our world today that promotes, you know, hard work and success. Yes. Uh, I see all of these advantages to it. And it's a system that creates quality, but it also creates the opportunity for... Monopoly. Yes, exploitation of the system. Exploitation, slavery, Mm. you know, and we can't afford to ignore, you know, the problems with our system just because we think that, you know, our political views or our system is the best one. All systems, all political views that we have on earth are human inventions, and as yes. human inventions, they have massive faults within them, and we also mm. need to recognise exactly that. And so, when we read this passage here, the proclaiming of li- the, the proclamation is made here. This is the proclamation of a jubilee year. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about how Jesus brought a jubilee year to our world. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM positively different. Let's get back to our Bible study. Jesus comes to Nazareth. He reads this particular passage. Uh, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the Lord's Jubilee. Mm -hmm. He closed the book. He gave it to the minister, sat down. The eyes of all were upon him. And he said... This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Heavy. So Jesus takes the passage and then he applies it directly to himself. To himself. Now, the people respond in verse 28 and 29. This is their response to this. Mm. And then I want to come back and actually think about why they respond this way. Go for it, Lawson. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. Wait, wait, wait. This is Luke 4? Yes. Verse 28. To- oh, 28. Sorry, I was reading 22. I was going to say, this is the 22. <laughs> when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill 
on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? Heavy stuff. Okay, so think about this. You've got this young guy. He's grown up in this town. This is his hometown. Mm. They've known him his whole life. He's gone out and he's become a very famous preacher and he's done a lot of great miracles, right? And so a lot of people are proclaiming him as the Messiah. Mm. Now, what happens when the Messiah comes home? They're like, okay, so traveling preacher, he's come back. Let's let's have him preach, you know, in our synagogue. Whenever I, you know, used to go back to my home church when I grew up, they're like, the pulpit is yours. Go preach. <laughs> Uh, and and so that's always a nice a nice thing. So you know, just like okay, um, you've been preaching all over the countryside, preach here. Mm. But then he proclaims the proclaims a jubilee year. They know that he's a famous preacher. Mm. They know that he is sent from God. They know that he's somebody who does amazing miracles. They know all of this. Mm. Why is it when he proclaims a jubilee jubilee year they want to throw him off the top of a cliff? Well, it's the now. It's not a jubilee year. Yes. Well, it's it's that it's not just that he's proclaiming a jubilee year, but he's proclaiming that he is the one bringing it about. Yes, that he is the son of God. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's two things here. Yes. What if you're a Jewish person and you've made large investments based on the jubilee year, and then suddenly Ooh. the jubilee year comes like twenty five years or thirty years <laughs> early. All of a sudden. That's tough. And if the Messiah turns up and does that, he's just kind of wrecked a lot of economy. Yeah, you lose our big heavy. There might be more to this story than uh, meets the eye when we actually understand the passage that Jesus is quoting and applying to himself. Mm. And when he applies this to himself, he's like, okay, I'm the Messiah. And they can see the evidence Mm. for that. And by the way, I'm proclaiming a jubilee year. Mm, of course, like his proclamation was that the jubilee year was coming because they would not be released from the bonds of physical debt, but of sin. That's right. And the debt of sin. And that's what they didn't understand. Well, they didn't wait to hear it. Wow. Ooh. You know, Jesus Jesus has just got into his sermon. You know, I don't know whether you've ever had this experience, Lawson. I've never had this experience. You know, stand up, read the opening verse. Share three sentences mm-hmm. and get chucked out. Okay, I've never had that experience. No, I I usually get criticised for preaching too long, yes. uh, which which I don't <laughs> do, done which I, which I'm not going to do uh, this okay, weekend. So this weekend, <laughs> when Lawson preaches over at uh, the Newcastle University Church, uh-huh. um, he won't be preaching for more than. 90 minutes. No. <laughs> He's not going to preach for more than 40. And it's going to be amazing. So Amen. You need to go there. Amen. And the quiz tomorrow will be all about what he's going to yes. be, be a foretaste. So <laughs> um, head over there and, uh, and meet Lawson and hear what he's got to say. But uh, what you've got here is, yeah, Jesus gets three sentences into his sermon and he's chucked out. And not only is he chucked out, they want to throw him off the edge of a cliff. They just want to kill the guy. You know, it's a little heavy. bit scary. It's just like, well, okay, what, what does this tell us about human nature? So there's, there's mm. a couple of things going on here. One is proclaimed the Jubilee year. The other is that he's proclaimed the Messiah. And like, yeah, we know who this guy is. He's Joseph's son. He's the carpenter. Mm. Mm. He's, he's a chippy. He's a peasant. Man, isn't what gives it, him the right to say that? Isn't it interesting how Jesus' words cause so much offense? Like to the point where, because that, that's their response. 
He's the carpenter. He's Joseph's son. That means that the point they're making is that we know him and we don't expect him to be this. But then the next step is, all right, let's chuck him off a hill. Let's let's take this guy's life away from him. Even though we know him, we grew up with him. Let's take his life away. That escalated quickly. Wow. Do we do the same to Jesus today when he comes and he offers us forgiveness, mm. freedom, wow. peace, freedom from guilt, salvation? What do we do with Jesus? Well, sadly, most of us chuck him off the cliff as well. That's tough. It is very tough. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Lyle. Yes. We've come to the question of the day. Question of the day. All right, Lyle, here we go. Yes. Question of the day. How old was the prophet who ran faster than the horse and chariot for a long distance? Okay, so there's a couple of things that sort of jump out to me from this particular question. It's a very interesting question. Uh, the prophet, of course, in being referenced here is the prophet Elijah. Now, did he run faster than the horses and chariots? I would argue that he ran at the same speed. And the reason that I would argue it is this. This is the, this is the story as it goes. Elijah, uh, of course, had the great showdown on Mount Carmel where he called the people of Israel to choose, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve Baal? As a result of that, the people chose to serve God. The prophets of Baal were put to death. There had been a famine with no rain, a drought that had lasted for three and a half years up until that day. And as a result of the great revival that happens, Elijah then goes and prays for rain. As he's praying for rain, he sees a cloud on the horizon about the size of a man's hand. And he turns around to Ahab, who was the king, and he says to Ahab the king, uh, get down off the mountain or the rain will stop you. That's a lot of faith when you can only see this tiny cloud on the horizon. And what he does is Ahab, of course, um, mounts his chariot and starts to head down the mountain. And that small cloud grows, billows up, becomes a massive, massive thunderstorm that just dumps bucket loads of rain. And Elijah, the Bible says, runs before the chariot. That means he runs in front of the chariot. And what he was doing was he was guiding the chariot through the rain back to the city of Jezreel. Mm-hmm. And so was he running faster than it? Well, I would say he's running the same speed because, you know, he's the guy out in front who is picking out the path and finding the road all the way back to Jezreel. Now, the question is, how old was he? Well, we don't know. Um, I guess there's a number of different ways that we could look at that question. How old was he when he did that run? Because that's a pretty significant run. The next day, with almost no sleep, he runs for two days out into the desert. That's a very, very long way. Um, so this guy was fit. He's probably Seriously doing the, he's fit. Probably, probably doing the cliffy shuffle. Do you know what that is? No. Okay, no, that, that's an obscure Australian reference uh, to the first ever ultramarathon winner, Cliffy, who was like a 62-year-old man and won an 800-kilometer race. Anyways. Yes. <laughs> but Okay, so he ran a very, very long distance, and so he was a very fit man. Now, be, that level of fitness would not have been uncommon in those days because, you know, primary means of transport was your feet. Mm-hmm. And so people were infinitely fitter than what we are today, but still exhausting nonetheless. How old was he at that particular point? I would say a relatively young man. Yeah. Because what you find is that Elijah lives through two kings. 
Mm. We find it that he um, lives right through the reign of Ahab until Ahab dies and then his son Ahaziah comes to the throne and he makes a prophecy about Ahaziah when Ahaziah goes to the gods of Baalzebub in Ekron. So we know he's still alive on earth then. So, you know, he's lived through... You know, a couple. So let's say that he's in his early twenties when he makes his first prophecy. That puts him in his mid twenties when he uh, runs before the chariot and then runs out into the desert. Then you've got him living through the rest of Ahab's reign. Of course, Ahab did not die of natural causes. He was killed in battle. Uh, but you're going to have a bit of time there. So you're probably going to have. You know, by the time he is translated, he is going to be at. Somewhere between, uh, I would say, mid-30s to mid-50s, somewhere mm. in that kind of a range, which is a pretty <laughs> broad range. I don't have the answer. But, of course, Ahab, I mean, Elijah is now very old because he's still alive oh, wow. in heaven. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.